I am Emily Lyons. In 2011, without a high school degree and with no money to my name, I decided to start my own business. Since then, I've built several multi-million dollar companies and I don't plan on stopping. Being a businesswoman, CEO, serial entrepreneur, survivor, and general life enthusiast, I'm endlessly jazzed by the business of life, especially the stories of extraordinary people I've had the privilege to meet along my own improbable journey to success. I don't think it's fair to keep that privilege to myself, and I think you deserve to be utterly lifted and shifted by these people too. All inspiring people are inspired people, so get ready to be inspired. All right, today I'm going to be sharing something a little bit different than I would normally share. And it's a deeply personal experience that I went through and really have gone through my entire life. But I think it's something important to talk about. And I hope that it might inspire somebody listening. So I'm sure you've seen those posters that say, Everything I needed to learn in my life, I learned from my cat or my dog. And well, everything I needed to learn, I learned in the mental hospital. And really and truly, that is the truth. And when I had the idea to share this, my team were kind of taken aback. And I think that is because of the large stigma still around mental health. I know it is. And even though we have all of these things now, like Bell, let's talk, there is still this huge stigma around it. And if you know anything about my journey over the years, you may have heard me touch on this experience of when I spent a month in a mental health facility. And I had a lot of deep shame around this for a very long time. Huge embarrassment, self-judgment, extreme judgment from others. But the truth is, it was honestly and truly one of the best experiences of my entire life and one of the bravest things that I have ever done, I think, that I have ever done. And I learned some of the most important things I'd ever learned while I was there. And when I look back, I realize I've implemented so many of those every single day since. So I'm going to share some of my story, some of my journey, and some of what it taught me with you. So I'll take you back briefly to a bit about my story. (laughs) Growing up, I was always an anxious, anxious girl with very sweaty palms. And not cute sweaty, I mean sweaty, sweaty. (laughs) I would find any excuse to not have to shake or hold a hand, unless it was my mom's, of course. I actually, I remember in grade five, my teacher yelled at me because my test I handed in was soaked and he called me a slob. And this reiterated to me that I needed to really, really work to hide that flaw. And that anxiety was something to really be ashamed of, that it was gross. And the more nervous this made me, the more sweating I did. And the more I sweat, the more nervous I got. (laughs) Hyperhidrosis, my friends. But it was this vicious cycle. And I mean, it didn't help that I was growing up in a very high-stress environment a lot of the time, being the middle child of two terminally ill siblings, both my sister and brother having cystic fibrosis, and just being a lot of chaos in our home, a lot of fights. And eventually, my parents split when I was around 12 or 13, and it was very messy, to say the least. My sister and I went to live with my dad, and... So all of these things, I think, added to my already anxious, awkward nature. 
And as soon as I tried alcohol, I felt relief. And that led me to over-drinking whenever I did. So I would vomit a lot, horrible embarrassment the next day with my dad working long hours to try to make ends meet and, and help us get by. I mean, he worked a factory job during the day and he delivered pizzas at night until the wee hours of the morning and then getting up at five or six to go to his factory job. And my mom wasn't really a part of our life for a few years because of the custody battles and all the animosity between everybody. So I was quite often left to my own devices and very, very terrible decision-making. After the drinking, I started to try other things like marijuana and then somewhere down the line, harder things like ecstasy and cocaine. And it just got worse from there. I mean, these made me feel better in the moment. They masked the feelings for sure. I couldn't understand or even knew that I was struggling and that these were masking the feelings that I had, but exasperated them when I was sober. And the horrible decision-making led to more and more embarrassment and more and more anxiety. And it was just this vicious cycle again. And I became very depressed. I would cry for hours and hours in my room <laughs> while listening to depressive music like Coldplay. I started to think that this was my environment and I had to get out. I had to get out of Stratford and then things would be better. And so I had an opportunity to move to Australia and work as a nanny and I jumped on it thinking that this was my ticket out. This was how everything was going to be better. But of course, my demons followed me as they do and they would rear their head in forms of panic attacks and agoraphobia where I couldn't really leave the house in Australia and continued substance abuse with over-drinking with alcohol. And so I later moved back to Canada and things actually got better for a little bit, surprisingly. But of course, my substance abuse and my partying continued because that awkward Emily was still there and I wanted to hide her and I didn't know how to handle it. Eventually, leading me to a very toxic long-term relationship in Toronto, which caused the severe anxiety and mental health problems to come back, and this time, worse than ever. And by this point, I was really struggling, and it started to showcase in really strange ways. So severe hives all over my body, all over my face, allergic reactions, and obsessions with health and anaphylactic shock. I constantly thought that I was going to have allergic reactions to things and any serious health issue I thought was possible, I thought I was going to have. And so I became hyper obsessed with everything. And if you have ever suffered from panic attacks, you know that you do everything you can to avoid anything that might cause panic attacks or anxiety. And so this just strengthens these things in your brain. So you just, this cycle of avoidance, it just makes it worse and worse and worse. And so eventually I couldn't make it through the day without alcohol to calm my anxiety. And I was able to kind of get by for a while with that daily drinking. But then I caught a really bad bug. And so with that bug, I had a high fever and I was sick. And so I couldn't drink which meant I couldn't do anything because I couldn't get by. I couldn't even eat. And so after I got better, I finally was like, okay, I need, I need help. And so I went to a mental health facility. And the first time they kind of looked at me and they talked to me and they gave me some pamphlets and they, they sent me on my way, basically told me I was fine. I talked to some family members. They told me the same thing. And I tried to say like, no, I, I think I have a drinking problem. 
again, like, no, you're okay. You're just, you're still going through, you know, things. My sister had just passed away and that had, had really exasperated all of these issues, even more so, of course, you know, my sister being my best friend and, and this grief now being added to the picture. I kept screaming for somebody to listen to me, but I kept getting brushed off. And I went back again to the mental health facility. And again, they said, oh, we'll add you to a wait list for potential treatment. And so the third time I went back, I was determined to find help. Finally, they listened to me. But this time I said to them, I can't eat. I can't eat. I can't take care of myself. And so he left this gentleman, he left the room and he said he had to call his supervisor. And when he came back, I remember him saying, okay, my supervisor says you're a danger to yourself because you can't eat and we're going to put you on a form. And a form, I can't remember the number of the form, but it meant that I wasn't allowed to leave until I had been addressed by a psychiatrist to confirm whether or not I was a danger to myself. And now this was terrifying. The fact that I wasn't allowed to leave was so scary to me. And I remember my knees buckling and I couldn't even walk. This gentleman had to carry me to a stretcher. I wanted help so badly, but I wanted it on my terms. But it didn't work that way. And so this admission just all of a sudden made it real to me that something was wrong, that something was very wrong. You know, a few days later, this was a weekend that I came in. So I had to wait until Monday till I could meet with my psychiatrist. And she took me off of the form. And I was now a patient that could leave if I wanted to. I was there on my own accord. And of course, I wanted to stay. And I was finally getting the attention and the care I so badly needed. I was finally addressing the loss of my sister and how badly that had just destroyed me. And all of the things I was suffering with for so long, I was no longer able to hide. And really and truly, it was the most incredible experience. I can't even describe it. Everyone there, all of the patients that were there with me, they were so honest and vulnerable. We weren't hiding behind these blankets of false positivity and false perfection. And, and we didn't have to hide or pretend anymore. And I had spent this huge part of my life desperately hiding my flaws. I mean, God forbid someone know I was struggling or that I was human and, and deeply feeling and that I was anxious and awkward. And I learned that none of us are these things. None of us are perfect. We are all messed up and flawed, all of us, every single one of us. Some of us are just better at hiding it. And I still remember the nurse telling me that a large majority of patients that they see are actually high-powered CEOs or other very successful people. And this shocked me. And then I remember later confiding in a client of ours that I had become very close with, we were very great friends, that I had gotten treatment. And them telling me that they had had similar treatments. And it just shocked me again. And it really made me realize it doesn't matter who you are, life knocks you down. We all handle traumas differently. And again, just because someone looks perfect on the outside does not mean they are not suffering. I guarantee you they've got issues. We've all got issues. Success and achievement changes nothing. You know, I'm still that exact same awkward, anxious person. I was when I was broke. I've just got better coping mechanisms. 
And it's funny to me because people expect you to be different. They expect once you achieve a certain level of success that now you are happy and you no longer suffer, but that is not true. (laughs) People sometimes act differently around me, expecting me to be different, and I am not. None of it has changed me one iota. If anything, these things, achievements, money, just exasperate your personality traits a little bit more. So if you're, you know, a giving person, you'll just give more. But success doesn't change any of that. The only thing that changes it is learning these coping mechanisms, you know, that I learned. And now back to my story. After I got out of the hospital, I was doing so much better. And you would think that I would be proud, that I'd be proud of this, right? I had gone in and I'd sought out treatment after a lifetime of suffering and then the worst suffering imaginable, which was the loss of my sister. But I was deeply embarrassed. And that toxic relationship I was in, well, finally I got up the courage to end it for good and I eventually moved out on my own a few months later. And he wasn't going to let that go. And one day I woke up and he had submitted on a gossip site called The Dirty an article on me where he, quote, unquote, exposed my mental health issues because he knew how badly that would hurt me. And I think he thought if I fell down into this tailspin of mental health issues again, I would go back to him because he knew that I needed him. I needed his support to get through this. And he fed my addictions and my insecurities. And so when I read this, I broke down and I cried and cried and cried all night until the sun came up. I was devastated to my core and I thought everyone was going to laugh at me and call me crazy and make fun of me and nobody would ever work with me again, that my business achievements were done, they were finished. But then something happened. Nobody cared. Nobody cared. In fact, those that did care felt bad for me and offered me help. They reached out to me and they knew my sister had died and most people knew how close we were. And they saw that I had suffered greatly. And so they showed me something. They showed me compassion. I didn't get judgment. And at that point, I decided I was going to take my power back and that this was my story. And if someone was going to tell it, it was going to be me. It wasn't going to be this jealous ex-boyfriend that wanted to bring me down and use these things against me. I wasn't going to let someone hold this over my head, try to use it to hurt me. And so I opened up about it on social media. I started to tell my story, my experience, and I feared the bad reactions that were going to come and the judgment. And so did my close friends and my family that told me not to do it. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it out there. I'm going to just, I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to rip off the bandaid. And when the judgment comes, the judgment comes, but at least it'll be me telling my story. But the response I got was actually the opposite. Again, It was incredible. People were messaging me saying it inspired them. It gave them hope. I got stories from people that they had gone through things or they were going through things and suffering in silence. And it was inspiring them to seek out help or to keep going. And at that point, I realized that asking for help, sharing these stories was brave. Going and seeking instead of continuing to hide was bravery. Dealing with mental health issues and continuing to live life despite these things is bravery. It's okay to feel deeply. It's okay to fall down and not get back up right away. The point is you get back up. 
And life is simple at the end of the day, but we make it so incredibly hard. And so battling through these things is just true bravery. And one of the biggest things I learned from the hospital is simple. And it's just to be nice. Don't think that others are judging you all the time or have this secret agenda. We truly have no idea what someone else is going through or what they have gone through. And remembering that they are operating from that point, not from you, but from what they have gone through. And remembering that hurt people hurt people. So if somebody is is lashing out at you, it's probably because of something they have or are going through. And so all we can do is just be kind. The next thing I learned is sometimes just getting out of bed is a great achievement. You got up. That's a win. You get a gold star. Celebrate every single friggin' achievement you make, no matter how big or how small you think it is. Celebrate them. Next, it's okay to take mental health days. In fact, I think it's a necessity. If you are feeling sad or anxious, you don't need to hide it. You can take a day off and watch Netflix all day. Have a bubble bath. Be kind to yourself. Eat a bunch of chocolate. Just don't stay there. Again, the point is that you get back up. You do that cardio. You get your body moving. You take those supplements. You talk to a friend. You get back up. The next thing I learned is addiction and substance abuse is not something to be judged ever. To judge anyone for. Period. The next thing I learned is no matter how dark it is, there is always hope. Always, always, always. You just need to look for that silver lining. We are fighters. We've got a lot of fight in us. We have survived all of our worst days. And you will be shocked with what you can continue to survive. I am a testament to that. And there is always so much beauty in the world. And there is always so much to be grateful for if we just stick around to look for it. And we just open our eyes and focus on those things. Remember, your story might be someone else's survival guide. And it is our duty to share it because of that. So these are just some of the lessons that I've learned from my time in a mental health facility. And I'm not a mental health professional by any means. But these are from my experience. And if you are suffering, there are so many resources out there for you to get it. Don't be afraid to ask and seek them out. And don't be afraid to be open about your suffering. You know, I'm not going to lie and say that it was easy. It was tough. It was really tough. But it was so worth it. And you are so worth it. So if there is one thing I can tell you, just keep getting back up. Look for help. Be honest. And above all, be kind. 